Amen. If you would, would you take your Bibles and let's turn to John chapter 10. And the New Testament reading will be the same text from which I will be preaching. And that is John chapter 10, verses 1 to 21. And if you would, let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. This is the Word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. And cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Our God in heaven, what a privilege it is to be here this day, to gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great shepherd. And we would ask now that you would take the reading of your word and the preaching of your word and that you would meet it with your spirit and our hearts, molding us and making us into the men, women, and children that you've called us to be. And our God in heaven, would you exalt the name of the living Christ, our great shepherd. And Lord, as we walk through this passage together, again, we would ask by your spirit, would you teach us? Would you give us wisdom? And Lord, would you apply it to our lives in whatever place we find ourselves? For many of us, Lord, we need to look to you as our great shepherd. We need to place our hope and our trust in you. For some of us, we need to be encouraged that you are our shepherd. 
And you care and love for your sheep. And Lord, for some even this day that, for one, being called as an under-shepherd, that yes, he looks to you as the perfect example of our great shepherd, and yet he too needs you as his great shepherd. So Lord, there's not a one of us in this place this day that does not need your word in our hearts. So teach us, we ask. Encourage our hearts. Turn our hearts toward you. We pray in the name of and for the sake of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I preached this morning at Trinity Grace from Leviticus chapter 8. And for some of you, those wonderful truths of that passage may be still sticking around in your mind. Not just those of you who from Trinity Grace are visiting here, but those of you from Christ Church Bentonville who might remember that passage that was preached three and a half years ago by Aaron Rains. That hit me this morning, or actually hit me last night as I was preparing to preach. That as I've been listening to Leviticus 8 to 10 and studying this past week, yours was one of the sermons that I listened to. And it ministered to me, ministered to my heart. And I was blessed by listening to that study. But as I was studied Leviticus chapter 8 this past week, my mind kept thinking about the service this evening here with, with you. For after all, in Leviticus 8, that, that is what we see. We find the ordination of the old covenant priests. And this evening, now we have the ordination of a minister of the new covenant. And while there are, of course, differences between the roles of the old covenant priest and the new covenant minister, there are also some continuities between the two as well. And I was struck reading through that passage this morning by the shadows found in the old covenant ritual, not only with the New Testament realities for the minister himself, but those realities that are found in Christ Jesus for all those who belong to him. I couldn't help but notice the steps in that ritual where the priests are cleansed, they are clothed, and they are consecrated. And for all of us in Christ Jesus, we all are cleansed, clothed, and consecrated. We all in Christ Jesus are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We're clothed and the righteousness of Christ, and we are consecrated to the service of the Lord Jesus. And yet, even now in the new covenant, there are those who are specially gifted and called by the Lord for the ministry of the word and sacrament. And it's our work this evening to carry out the ordination and installation of Aaron Rains to the office of pastor here at Christ Church Bentonville, and this is indeed a wonderful thing. And as you watch the events of tonight, you may think that it is full of ceremony, and indeed it is, as it should be, for a ceremony brings about a change in status for somebody. If you go to a wedding, the two participants go in as single, they come out as a married couple. Aaron's status today doesn't change from unholy to righteous because that status has changed when he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and God changed his heart. It doesn't change from sinner to saint. 
It doesn't change from commoner to nobility. It doesn't change from spiritual to now somehow super spiritual. Nor does it change from vassal to king. In one way, we could say it changes from layman to clergy. Or member to minister. And for Aaron particularly, it changes from ruling elder to a teaching elder. To a pastor in Christ's church. To a shepherd of the flock of God. But I'm not here to talk about Aaron this evening. As fun as that might be. It's even more glorious to talk about our great shepherd. The one to whom this passage leads us. Because after all, a true shepherd points people to our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus. To our shepherd who speaks the truth. To our shepherd who loves his sheep. And to our great shepherd who obeyed his father. Let's look first, shall we, from our text to our shepherd who speaks the truth. And Jesus begins here saying something interesting. He says, whoever does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he, he's a thief and a robber. We, Jesus begins negatively here. He's speaking in the context of what had just gone on in chapter 9. There was a man who had been born blind. He had been given sight by the Lord Jesus. And then this man turns and he starts proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. And as he does so, he was proclaiming Jesus as the one that was sent by God to save his people. But there was another group there. There was another group there who heard him speak, who heard him proclaiming. The Pharisees, and they kicked him out of the synagogue. The very ones who were supposed to be the shepherds of the sheep, the very ones who were supposed to be the teachers among the people, the religious leaders of Israel, kicked him out of the synagogue for preaching the truth of the Lord Jesus, for pointing people to the true shepherd. And these were those that at one time had claimed, well, Abraham is our father. They claimed, we are disciples of Moses, they would say. And yet Jesus says to them, if that were true, if that were true more than just physically, then you would believe me, for I am the one sent by God. Jesus is saying that these Pharisees, who were supposed to be the shepherds of God's people, they were not shepherds at all. But indeed, they were the very thieves and robbers. They were those that were associated with the one who is, whose only intent is to steal, kill, and destroy. These false shepherds, they didn't enter by the door, but they climbed up some other way. But a true shepherd is one who enters by the door. And Jesus is here contrasting then the true shepherd and the false shepherd. And if anyone ever preaches anything other than Christ as the door, the only door, then that person is a false shepherd. One of the reasons we make distinctions in the church and try to use words that describe what we believe is because there are those. Even in the visible church, there are those that preach something altogether different than what the Scripture proclaims. Jesus isn't simply a way. He's not just simply one way. It's not that Jesus, it's not Jesus plus something. Know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I am the door. It's pretty clear. Jesus is... The only way. There was no other way than Christ Jesus. There's no other way to climb in. 
Not by your background, not by your ethnicity, not by your works, not by jumping through particular hoops. But it is in Christ and Christ alone, even as we just sang a few moments ago. So he who enters by Christ, that door then is opened. And the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out. Calvin states, they alone are good shepherds who lead men straight to Christ. If we want to know, if we want to understand what the role of the minister of the gospel is, it is that. To lead people straight to Christ. That's a true shepherd of the flock of God. And the true shepherd's voice, our shepherd's voice, it's not only heard, but it's recognized. And there's a a subtle shift here in the text from those shepherds who are to lead men straight to Christ, to Christ himself as the good shepherd. Verse 4 says, when he brought out all his own, he goes before them. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they'll not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. You know, here in the West, uh, sheep and their shepherds, if, if we could even call them that here in the West, but we do have some. But sheep and shepherds here in the West have somewhat of an adversarial relationship. I don't know if you know that, but if you watch them, often the shepherds will use dogs to uh, chase their sheep and to keep them together and to put them back and to bring them back into the fold. They tend to follow behind their sheep rather than in front of them. But in the Middle East, a shepherd would lead his flock. A shepherd would go before his flock and the flock would follow because they knew the care And the compassion of the shepherd. They knew his voice and they would respond to the voice of the shepherd. And even as we think that in a spiritual sense. Think of Mary Magdalene at the tomb. Lazarus. Zacchaeus. As the great shepherd speaks and they hear. And recognize his voice. But a stranger. Sheep will not follow a stranger. But will actually flee from it. And again, so here we've got this contrast not only between the true and false shepherd, but we also have a contrast here in John chapter 10 of a true and false sheep. The sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd. And notice the very next verse. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. I don't want to make more of this in the scripture intends, but isn't it interesting that immediately after Jesus says the sheep follow because they know his voice, that John follows that up with this statement. And he says, but they did not understand. Why didn't they understand? Because they didn't know his voice. They were not a sheep. And so Jesus again says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves, robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What a, what a statement. What a statement. Here we have the, the, the exclusiveness of Jesus Christ. There have been others who have come, and there are still others today that make the same claim that claim that they know a better way of salvation or a different way of salvation. Another way to the Father, another way to true life, another way to full life, another way to abundant life. But what we're told here is that these are nothing but liars and deceivers. And yes, even antichrists who are leading away from the true shepherd. Whether it's 
present-day Judaism, with the works of the law, whether it's Islam or Buddhism, New Age religion, Mormonism, or whatever else it might be, any, any so-called church that denies Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation, as the only truth, the only way to heaven, it's a lie. And it's meant to steal, kill, and destroy. It's false. But Jesus came that they may have life. Who? The sheep. And have it abundantly. Christ came with a purpose. To have life. To bring life. Isn't that wonderful? One shouldn't be angry that there is only one way. We talked about this this morning even in our church. One shouldn't be angry that there's, oh, it's not fair that there's only one way to the Father. Praise God that there is a way to the Father. And that he's made it available to us. He's made it clear. In fact, it is quite simple. Yes, it's profound, but it's also quite simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Any of us can understand that. It's the simple, wonderful, profound truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. That he lived and he died and he rose again for sinners like you and like me. And that is the only way. He is the door. But not only is he door, he, he's the shepherd who loves his sheep. I, I love this part. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. The, the good shepherd came for this purpose. To give his life for the sheep. No, he, he, he gives life by giving his own. And notice the purposeful love of this wonderful shepherd. He had said, I, am, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And he did so again by laying his life down. Christ died for the sheep. He died in their stead. He died in our stead. He actually paid the price, paid the penalty for the sin of those who trust in him. And that's a great assurance, isn't it? It's a great assurance for those who belong to him. We can boldly say, I can stand up here and for all of you in Christ Jesus, I can say, Jesus died for you and he paid for your sin. And in Christ Jesus, guess what? You will never pay for that yourself. Never. It's been dealt with on the cross. Oh, the love of the shepherd. Your sin has been forgiven. The wrath of God has been taken away. It's been propitiated by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's laid down his life for the sheep. I mean, and who would do this but the one to whom those sheep belong? The text tells us that he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and he flees. The wolf snatches them, scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But you see, Christ is concerned about the sheep. Because why? Well, because he's not just some hired hand. But to him, the sheep have been given. They belong to the Lord Jesus. We can, we can gladly sing as that old children's hymn says, His sheep am I. We have been given to him by the Father. I've used this illustration before on numerous occasions, but I was driving with a friend of mine years ago on a trip, and I, I spilt a Coke or coffee or something in the car and I turned to him actually Ted it may have been you and I on the way to Presbytery one time years and years ago and I said I said oh gosh I'm so sorry I spilt that and he turned to me and he said oh don't worry about it it's just a rental 
But you get the point, don't you? I don't care because it doesn't belong to me. Jesus doesn't do that with us. He doesn't say he's just a rental. He says he's mine. He belongs to me. Jesus loves his sheep. But the hired hand, he sees the wolf coming and he flees to preserve his own life rather than protecting the life of the sheep. The good shepherd not only doesn't flee, but he takes the initiative and he lays down his life for those who belong to him because he loves them. John tells us in 1 John 4, he says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This, that's the love of the shepherd. That's the love of our shepherd for us as sheep. In verse 14, Jesus repeats himself, doesn't he? He says, I'm the good shepherd. But then he goes on, I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This knowledge of the shepherd serves actually to broaden our understanding of the love of the shepherd. Why? Because he knows his own. He knows what you're like. He knows your heart. He even knows your sin and all those things that you hide from everybody else. And yet he says, I lay down my life for my sheep. Even knowing you and me, he lays down his life. Paul says it this way in Romans 5, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, and the shepherd knows his sheep intimately, deeply. There is an intimacy of knowledge between the shepherd and his sheep. He, he knew you before the creation of the world. Now, that's an amazing statement, isn't it? We can't even get, begin to get our minds around that. But because he did, you can know him. You can know him as your shepherd. And because he knows his sheep, there's nothing that can, that can surprise him. I'm so thankful for this, that there is nothing that can surprise Jesus. Jesus will not one day say, oh, well, that one slipped by me. I didn't know that about Chris. That's going to fully disqualify him. He's never going to say that. He knows me fully. And since I am his based solely on his grace, nothing that I've done to deserve it, then there's great comfort for me. When I look at my own life, sometimes I feel like, and I don't know how many of you people have seen this, but it's, it's so funny. I wish some, I don't hardly ever use um, visible illustrations from the pulpit, but this one, I think it's worth it. Some of you may have seen it. It's a video on social media, where this, this shepherd is digging his sheep out of this pit. And he spends so much time trying to pull his sheep up. He finally gets it up onto the edge. He puts it up. The sheep bounds off and is so happy and jumps right back into the ditch. That's me. And that's you, isn't it? And Jesus knows that. And he still loves you. And he pulls you up. Over and over and over again. And praise God, he never tires of pulling me by my back legs out of a ditch. Because he does it over and over and over and over again. That's our shepherd. 
If you're Christ's sheep, he knows you and you know him. Sheep don't all of a sudden stop being his sheep. There's nothing that will diminish the love of the shepherd for his sheep. Because he perfectly knows you. And he still loves you. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? He knows our deepest fears. He knows our deepest joys. He knows our hidden sins. And he still loves his sheep. And they know him. And, and, and he desires that all that belong to him will come to him. Notice that. We're to be an evangelistic people because our Savior is. Because our Savior is. Look what he says. He says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they'll hear my voice. And they will become one flock with the shepherd. And this flock or this fold of which Jesus is speaking, of course, is is Israel. But no longer will the covenants of promise be limited to to a particular people or within a particular nation, but will uh, include people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, from every corner of the world. That was shadow. Israel pointed to something greater, and Jesus has made it clear simply because one was part of Israel, that didn't make him a sheep. No, no. God makes people his sheep. Through his call. Only Christ has ever made one a sheep. Sure, there were true sheep within Israel. And because Jesus says, I must bring others also, right? So there were, there were those true sheep within Israel. I must bring others also. But they're not two different flocks with two different purposes, two different doors to enter. Remember, Jesus has said, I am the door. There's one door, there's one flock, and there's one shepherd. It's the same thing that Paul is saying in the second chapter of Ephesians, where he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. For by it, having put to death the, uh, put to death the enmity. Jesus goes on to say here, For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life for the sheep, that I might take it up again. Jesus, the good shepherd, he loves his sheep, and he's obedient to his father. He lays down his life so that he may take it up again, and that his sheep, whom the father has given to him, may have life abundantly in his name. Jesus says concerning his life that, that he lays it down and he takes it up again. He says, no one, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. He says, I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. But Jesus was obedient to his father's will. And even as Jesus was obedient to his Father's will, he still had the authority to lay it down and to take it up again. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Why would you even say it that way? Because what Jesus did, he did so voluntarily. As Paul says in Philippians, he humbled himself even to the point of death. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, not simply a prophet, Not just a good man, but God himself. Jesus, God himself took on flesh and gave his life. 
You know, a true shepherd may be called to risk his life to care for the sheep. But the good shepherd didn't merely risk his life. He gave it. And he gave it voluntarily. And I love this part, though. Not only did he have the authority to give it, but also to take it up again. Also to take it up again. The death of Christ was not an end in itself. We do not serve a dead Savior. I know we know that, but oh, do we need to be reminded of it. We do not serve a dead Savior. For if he, would be, if he were dead, he'd be no Savior. But praise God, he took it up again. He defeated death and its hold And he lives. Jesus was no martyr. See, a martyr is one whose life is taken because they stand for a particular cause. Jesus was no mere martyr. Yes, it was men who killed him. But but even that served the purposes, the planned purposes of God that Jesus would die as a substitute for sinners like you and me. As a substitute for his sheep. The shepherd for the sheep. Peter says in that great sermon in Acts chapter 2, he said, This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Yes, it was men who killed him. But it was God who delivered him for a purpose. To save sinners like you and like me. And it was Jesus God delivered him, and yet it was Jesus, the good shepherd, who had the authority to give it voluntarily, and he did, and he did. These wicked men here thought they were doing one thing, but in reality, God was doing another. They thought they were getting rid of a nuisance, killing a man, but even in the very midst of that, God was securing life for his sheep. He was securing life for the sheep, for sinners like you and me. Through the, through the work of the good shepherd of the sheep. And there is only one of those. What we're doing this morning or this evening is wonderful. And we ought to rejoice and praise the Lord that God has raised up a man that will faithfully preach the good news of the gospel. But that good news of the gospel faithfully preached are men like him who will point sinners like us to the great shepherd of the sheep because he is the one that we need. Not just mere men because as much as we want to think of ourselves, it's good men. The best of men are at best just what? Men. Just men. But not the Lord Jesus. The great shepherd of the sheep. Our Savior. Let's pray, shall we? Our God in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus in whom we stand. We thank you for the privilege of Pointing each other to him. The great shepherd of the sheep. Our only hope. The one who lived the life that we cannot live. That died the death that we deserve. 
and rose again, defeating death and sin. Who ascended up into the heavenlies and is sitting at your right hand, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yes, he's the shepherd of the sheep, but he's King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh God, may we bow the knee to that, to him. And may we rejoice this day. May we put our trust in him. And may we be encouraged as the sheep with a great shepherd. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.